Hi everyone, my name is Greg Knight and I like watching, thinking about, and talking about movies. One of the great things about starting your own podcast is that there are some days where you get to actually talk to the creators of those movies. Our series Under the Stole is where you can find those conversations. I've had the opportunity to interview award-winning directors, up-and-coming documentarians, and even a legit Abraham Lincoln historian. So if you are curious about the creative spirit and want to learn more about how artists are inspired to make their passion projects, check out Under the Stole right here on the Popping Collars feed. Previously on Popping Collars. Welcome back to the new and improved Take Two. I'm your host, Greg Knight. Here's the deal. When you have a world-famous podcast like Betsy, Liz, and Ricardo and I, uh, your time can be taken up with lots of commitments. We've got meetings with advertisers to juggle, elite special guests to manage, all that pod money to count. Frankly, it's exhausting. So instead of reinventing the wheel, we use this opportunity when we're not able to record a new pod to look back at a past show from our almost 10 years of archived material and give it a little update. Fresh coat of paint, as it were. I'm going to set you up. It was our 68th episode of the podcast. The date was August 10th, 2017. Subject was smartphones. Ricardo, Liz, and I welcomed an old seminary classmate of ours, Andy Shamel, to come on to the show to talk about how technology was taking over our lives. And that was before artificial intelligence had entered into our daily lexicon. Here we go. We're going to listen back to this old pod and through the power of editing, be able to insert updates and contextual sound clips. So jump in the Wayback Machine with me as we get a second take on episode 68 of the pod entitled, I Am So Called. Previously on Popping Collars. Uh, allow me to offer my opinion on that question, Greg, before we move on. Nice. I would say, and then I'd like to hear yours, Greg. I, I, if you don't say a thing that I think you're going to say, I'm going to out you and say it and say ah. you said it. So you might not know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is Greg Ignite. Welcome to Popping Callers, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I am Liz Easton. I'm the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. And I'm here with my co-host today, Greg Knight in Palm Beach, Florida. Greg, what are you up to these days? Oh, I am dodging the cicadas and the mosquitoes and all the other critters down here in South Florida. Um <laughs> I'm recording with the window open right now, and the cicadas are so loud, I'm afraid they'll interfere with our broadcast. My other co-host here today is Ricardo Avila from Long Beach, California. Ricardo, what are you up to? What's going on? Hi there, Liz. 
Yes, as you said, I am in lovely Long Beach, California. I am the interim rector of St. Luke's Episcopal Church. Um, I have just returned from a week at the Dickens Universe. Not even two minutes into the pod, and we have our first Charles Dickens reference. I don't know if longtime listeners can fully appreciate this, but in our raw audio, before the show gets edited, Charles Dickens shows up quite a bit. Unfortunately, he usually ends up on the cutting room floor, but suffice to say, if I left in all of the Dickens references over the last 10 years and all of the pods, you would question which century we were recording this. I bet our I bet our listeners want to know just what that is. <laughs> <laughs> Another plug for the 19th century. The Dickens Universe happens every year, the first week of August, on the UC Santa Cruz campus, where 200 professors, grad students, high school teachers, elder hostel people, and the public who is interested come together and discuss a Dickens novel for an entire week, and have tea and drinks and food in the cafeteria, and parties, and um, it's actually a lot of fun. You would not believe that from the description I'm giving, um, <laughs> but it is awesome. Does it help that you're married to somebody from the 19th century? <laughs> <laughs> yes, my time-traveling husband, William, he is definitely the one who got me hooked. Joining us today as a special guest for his second time on Popping Collars is Andy Shamel. Andy is on a farewell tour of the United States before heading to Oxford in a few weeks. Um, Andy, tell us what you're up to. What's going on? Well, uh, until about a month ago, I was the Episcopal campus minister at Stanford and am no longer. And so, yes, as, as Liz said, I am visiting family and friends before I move to England for some time, particularly looking at the relationship between religious experience and the imagination. Well, this is the 68th episode of Popping Collars, if you can believe that. And our subject today is smartphones, the little computers that we all carry around in our pockets and our purses that uh, connect us to the larger world and sort of organize our lives and sometimes rule our lives in ways that um, we appreciate and that we don't appreciate. Does everyone here today have a smartphone? Right here. Yes. Yeah, right, right, we, right in my hand. We've talked about social media before on Popping Collars. We've talked about Twitter and its influence on snark and on the church. We have a social media presence of our own. And of course, smartphones aren't all about social media, but for many of us, it's sort of our main tool um, for that connection. We're interested in talking today about the ways that our smartphones influence our spiritual lives for better or for worse. And I thought we'd start with just a little check-in question, youth group style. What is the app that we love to hate? The one mm. that we kind of hate, but we use all the time anyway. Andy, do you want to get us started? Probably Facebook Messenger. Not, not because the app is bad. I hate Facebook. <laughs> I have to use it. I, I, will, I, I, I realize that I'm locked in these apps not just they don't just meet a problem they try to change the way that we behave i hate to love this app uh but it's it's a game called toy blast Ooh. and it's so for children it's it's basically candy crush but i think better because there are explosions and it's not as hard and the reason <laughs> i love toy blast is 
it it really triggers something in my brain. There's just some sort of uh, adrenal something or other. There's this little girl with big eyes, and you're helping her reach some goal that will never be reached. But she gets happy when you're winning, and on the last three moves, when you know you're going to die, she gets all sad, <laughs> and her face falls, and she looks like she's about to cry. And I swear, I've gotten to that point, and I'm like, oh, shut up. Talking to her. I mean, I I guess I'm kind of with Ricardo. Like, it's the it's the addictive things that I like to do the most. So it's like, yeah. So it's the games that that are just constantly going that have no ultimate goal except to just kind of experience them. But there's something about just checking in with a mobile game where you're you just kind of feel locked in. It's like, and, and eventually the thing about mobile games that I hate is that um, they start to feel like jobs. I mean, I had to, I had to delete words with friends because it just felt like a job every time. It was like, well, I've got to play because I don't want to upset my friends. And it's, it's, it just wasn't any fun anymore. (laughs) Wow, we're off to a blazing start here. Top five apps that eventually felt like work. Number one, Wordle. Not technically an app, but same thing. Number two, Words with Friends. Number three, Facebook, because it literally was slash is part of the marketing end of so many church people. Number four, Instagram. Same thing as Facebook, except somehow even more fake. Number five, Duolingo, especially when you have a long daily streak going. Did I learn any Spanish? No. Did I get my daily dose of GameCubes or whatever? Yes. As you guys are talking, I was th- I agree that I think Messenger is ridiculous. And what I don't like about it is it feels like a violation. Like, I have thousands of Facebook friends. Only a small fraction of them have my cell phone number. I don't necessarily want everyone basically texting me, which is what Messenger is. It, so that's sort of, I don't like that. It feels weird. I don't know if, pe- if Popping Callers listeners know this about me, but I'm a fairly frugal person. And I crave a kind of materially simple life. I don't often achieve it, but that's sort of where my heart is. And iPhones, my laptop makes me feel the same way. But what I don't like about my iPhone is that it's this very expensive and sophisticated machine that I use for very unsophisticated things. (laughs) Like, I don't need that type of technology, you know, at my fingertips all the time. That's true. Like, sometimes I'll look at my laptop, which is expensive and think, gosh, I use you for word processing, email and to watch Netflix. That's it. I'm really interested. And I'm sure that you guys have thought about this. And Andy, this would be interesting, I think, for you, especially as an app developer, the relationship between our smartphones and our spiritual lives. Um, which is, I think that all of us, well, I should speak for myself. I've experienced, uh, there are dangers there and there are also real gifts. And like, I have a centering prayer app that I use every morning and I'm glad I don't have to like use a hourglass to time my sit and instead (laughs) this nice chime, um, you know, but then there's, there's a a shadow side for sure to the cell phone. But anyway, I'm just curious about you. Like, how did you, what, what did tell us about your app? And then also, maybe that side of it, the spirituality of the cell phone. Yeah. So I, for the listeners, I have written uh, a iOS app called daily office 
that is designed exactly to do that, to um, facilitate people praying the uh, Episcopal daily office. And for our listeners who aren't Episcopalians or aren't in a liturgical tradition, can you tell us quickly what the daily office is? Indeed. The daily office is a cycle of uh, daily prayer services. So it's morning prayer, noonday prayer, evening prayer, and Compline, which is the night prayer. And what's great about the daily office is it offers sort of a rhythm of prayer. There's readings, there's um, psalms, there's uh, canticles, songs from scripture. Uh, But what's challenging about the Episcopal daily office is there's uh, a bunch of variables, depending on what time of year it is, what liturgical season it is. There's a lot of choices you can make about which canticles to use, which readings to use. You have to find, if you're, do, if you're praying it with the, the, the books, you've got the, the Book of Common Prayer here, and you've got your Bible here, and you need to find where the readings are in Bible to keep on track for the, the cycle of, of readings, the, the daily office lectionary. The like point, a choose-your-own-adventure. It's a choose-your-own-prayer-adventure. <laughs> um, and the, the point of the app was to take all those variables you can make settings, um, make, your, make your choices ahead of time. The app would just take that all and it would just seamlessly put it together for you. So all you have to do is open up morning prayer and it's got your all the different variables, the opening sentences that change by season and the whether there's hallelujahs or not, they're written in or excluded. The, the Bible passages are just seamlessly put into the whole liturgy all automatically. Uh, so you can you just just have it right there on your iPhone or your iPad. I am pretty sure Daily Office is still alive. It looks like the last update was about a year ago. So if you search Daily Office in the App Store, you should find it. Fun fact, I am not an Apple guy, so I can neither confirm nor deny this information with my little Galaxy phone over here. Um, Have you noticed any kind of change in your um, prayer between using the books and now using the app? Is it there any substantive difference? When I pray the daily office with prayer book, where I actually feel, I think, more present with the experience when I'm using a book. But I did say that I do still pray the daily office almost exclusively with the app. Uh, and I think that's in, in large part because of the the way that it just seamlessly puts everything together. It's just easier. It's a little bit less uh, rich in a way, uh, but it's much easier. And so I do it more. So first of all, my 19th century husband, as we were saying before, he is very much a fan of the daily office, morning and evening prayer every day, pretty much without fail. He always says, you, you need to read it from the book, sweetie. And I'll say, but I was on the subway train and I really thought I have time for morning prayer. And, you know, this is when I was in San Francisco and there was just enough time to recite the office. And he said, but if you're doing that, you're not making any public witness. You just look like everyone else who's looking down at their phone. And even though you bow and cross yourself, people are going to say, what is he doing playing some video game? Uh, <laughs> where you have to do these actions. And so it's funny because he saw he saw using the book. I guess in public as, as a witness. Now I, I had to actually use my phone once uh, visiting someone at the hospital because I, I didn't have the book and I wanted to find a prayer. And 
it 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 was um it was the ECP, I think it's called, whatever that app is. And I had a heck of a time finding what I wanted. So I wound up making up prayers. Uh, but it was a little embarrassing and I apologize profusely for whipping out the phone to, you know, start praying with someone. And I wonder if especially with this person who's of an older generation, that wasn't really a turnoff. Whereas who knows, maybe with someone young, they'd be like, oh my God, the priest uses his smartphone for prayers. That's someone I would go to church with if I don't die in this hospital bed. Well, I was thinking just based on what you just said, Ricardo, that the church is often accused, and rightly so in many cases, of being just a few steps behind the culture. And I feel like whenever something comes out publicly, like whether it's an op-ed that kind of circulates on Facebook or in some other way, criticizing technology in this way, or, or at least raising questions about it, there's often this real backlash from the snark, the snarkers that, uh, oh, it's just a bunch of Luddites, you know, like you can't, um, you keep up with the times, man, like, don't be so behind. And I think that the pressure to, um, the pressure is real for me to like, to be the priest who uses their smartphone to say a prayer or something, or at least to think that that's always the right decision. But I, I think that the truth is that many of us struggle with the way that our smartphones have interfered with our spiritual lives, not even necessarily our religious lives or our piety, which is what we've been talking about up until this point, but just our very sense of sort of being grounded spiritually. And I can't help but think that if we're feeling that way, our parishioners must be too. So Andy's app, the daily office app uh, for iOS is uh, he used the word, con- it's it's an app of convenience, right? I mean, it's it's an app of convenience. And I think that um, there's a challenge to spirituality. It's a challenge of convenience. I mean, where I see, you know, the struggles with getting parents or young people to come to church, it's that it's not convenient to come to church. <laughs> it's not convenient for your Sunday mornings. It's not convenient for your family routine. And so it's a real sort of challenge to wake up, pile everybody into the car, get there Sunday morning and make that a regular process for you. And I think that what sort of cell phone culture reinforces is, well, why do that when you've got this world at your fingertips, right? So I I wonder if uh I wonder if we're we're the victims of having an inconvenient institution i'm not being a very good salesman for my app (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but but what i as i was thinking further though i i came to a very similar place greg as as to what you were saying is connecting with what all of you've been saying is that i think that there's a, a a reflex tendency that i find in myself and i know the church is guilty of which is to be critical of of the technology you know there's an article that's been going around from the atlantic which talks about some of the detrimental possible effects of technology and there's real benefits that come from it. It's I, I am able to uh, I'm able to pray in places that I wouldn't otherwise. I found myself waiting in line. I was like, Oh, there's literally nothing else I can do now. May as well say a noonday prayer. Cause here I can, it's right here on the app. This is great. And so I've been able to turn moments of what would otherwise be boredom into at least the intention of spiritual presence I started reading the Bible on my iPhone, the King James version with the, well, it's called the Bible app, I guess. 
I stopped, of course, because I got to Numbers or Leviticus and just was bored stiff. But it's great. You just keep scrolling. And I read it out loud, and it was fun. And it was also recorded, so you can hear someone reading it you know, as you looked at it. That was fun. And, there's, and so there are fun things in here. And there's one other thing. I have an inst- it's called Insight Timer. My name is Sarah Blondin, and I'm honored to be one of 2,000 meditation teachers and musicians here on Insight Timer who have collectively published more than 10,000 free guided meditations and music tracks, creating the largest free meditation library on earth. I will be your guide over the next seven days, and we will explore the breath, the mind, the body, and our emotional states. We will learn to set purposeful intentions for ourselves and end with a deep dive into inner stillness. The meditations in this course will help you learn to calmly focus and concentrate your mind and bring your full awareness to something specific such as being more compassionate, more kind, or helping in overcoming life's difficulties. And Liz, I think you mentioned something like this. It's like a little gong. If you want to time yourself for 15 minutes, you just close your eyes and wait for the bell to ring again. And then when you're done, it shows all these people on the app who are meditating at the same time around the world. Oh, that's cool. And you can go through and click on them and say, thanks for meditating with me. And it's, it's sort of, frankly, for me, becomes a bit of a of a like a, almost a dating app like i look at the cute, the cute guys who are meditating and i look at their pictures and i'm like thanks for meditating with me johans in germany you're swiping right on your meditation <laughs> don't tell your husband that either oh no we meditate together and i said okay i've got to i've got to thank my friends for meditating with me and he rolls his eyes and says okay i'm sure they're all men like <laughs> I think those are little spiritual um, injections throughout the day that, that we can um, give ourselves. So I don't see a problem. I think for me, as they say, it's all good. I got to say, Liz, just sort of going back to your question and what Ricardo just said here, like connection, right? I mean, that's the gift of the cell phone, of the smartphone, is the fact that we have the opportunity to use Facebook Messenger to get in touch with Andy Shamel to come on this episode of Popping Collars. Whereas, you know, pre-smartphone, gosh, I mean, I mean, yeah, maybe uh, we would be able to communicate online somehow, but but having that ability to just pull it out of your pocket and say, let me shoot Andy a message and see if he can come on. That's amazing how well we're connected in this world. Um, and, and that's what this device offers us. Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. And I think, like I said earlier, I too have spiritual apps that I use that have been helpful, especially because I travel so much for work that um, it's nice to be able to carry those in my pocket. But I may be an outlier here, But really, when you think of the whole of your life with your cell phone, which is now for most of us kind of our constant companion, put Mm -hmm. throw a pie chart up there, Ricardo, how well, how big of a slice of that pie is you using your religion apps? Oh, as opposed to my Toy Blast app? Yeah, and all, and all the other <laughs> stuff. You know, and I don't mean to call you out because it's my experience too. Like I think there are there are wonderful things, but so I'll name some of the things for me, I guess, out myself that are spiritually challenging. One is that um, I don't allow myself to be bored very often anymore. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I'm right. you know, so I'll go to Facebook, which is not even a app that I like that much and just scroll through it and kind of see what's happening. I get a little bit of an ego boost, um, off of Instagram when I get lots of likes and I don't feel like that's really good for me spiritually. Um, definitely compare myself to other people in ways that I didn't do before. Cause now it's way more people than just the ones in my personal life. And for me, the biggest spiritual challenge of all is the incorporation of my work life into my personal space. And it took me like, honestly, just until three weeks ago to realize that I had to turn off my email app when I left the office and turn it back on again in the morning (laughs) when I got to the office. Cause I would be like, you know, Oh, I'll check Facebook. And then, Oh, there's another email. Let me see who that is. Like I could just never turn it off. A couple of years ago, I was organizing a really stressful, complicated event at Stanford. I was working with a couple of people on it that I did not personally like get along with very well. I was in the middle of a service. So I wasn't, uh, I wasn't presiding, but I was at a church service. And I opened my phone reflexively, like you do, mm-hmm. checked my email reflexively. And there was an email from one of these people that I didn't get along with. And it totally wrecked, like, I felt like I needed to respond, and I couldn't let this lie. It was like, it was the middle of a Holy Eucharist service. Like, what, A, what business do I have looking at my email in the middle of that? And B, I let myself get drawn in. And actually, at that, at that point, right after that service, I was chatting with my colleague who had been leading it. And he's like, yeah, I took my work email off my phone. And so I immediately deleted my work email off the phone. And my life was, immediately got so much better. Words with Friends has a little place where you can send messages back and forth. And speaking of connection, Andy, that you were talking about in a different way, um, I've actually given pastoral counseling on those little messages mm. on Words with Friends with people I probably wouldn't be in touch with really you know, daily because I'm doing my, little, my next move on the Words with Friends. And so here's a person I haven't seen in eight years. And suddenly she's telling me about her father who's dying and her relationship with him and her problems with the family. And we're just like text, you know, doing the little kind of texts within words with friends. And it was kind of great. Again, I'm not, I'm not, I know there are plenty of like negative things about having smartphones. So at hand, many is the morning I have woken with the, the cell phone literally clasped in my, in my little grubby hand um, because I fell asleep with it. To me, it's another avenue that has possibilities and has a lot of, you know, pitfalls as well. Um, I can say things about the pitfalls, but um, maybe I'm fooling myself in thinking that for me, mostly it's a, a good thing in terms of my spirituality. I do things I wouldn't do otherwise because of my smartphone. Uh, spiritually and religiously even. And, you know, being bored, I hear you, Liz. It's like, you're right. Like, even when I'm brushing my teeth, I like, I'm doing a little swiping with the other hand with the phone. And like, you know, why can't I just, you know, think about my teeth or something? (laughs) Um, So that, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's spiritual value in being bored, but I think there's spiritual value in feeling a sense of absence for a few minutes every day. Uh, yeah. And seeing mm-hmm. seeing what might enter when you don't feel you have to always have every moment filled. You know, as the parent of two young children, 
what I've learned about smartphone technology and really just sort of tablet technology in general, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, is how intuitive it is. Like the fact that my two-year-old can pick up a phone and generally figure out how to navigate to the YouTube Kids app, and then once in the app can navigate to whatever video it is that she wants to watch. Like for a two-year-old to do that. Intentionally, they want her to be able to do that. They. Sure. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so developmentally you start running into these issues of, well, you know, how much screen time is appropriate screen time? And, you know, what, you know, what does this do to a developing brain? And, 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 you know, that's just part of parenting now is, is navigating this world of, well, these devices are there. So how do you sort of use them responsibly This is a good time to insert an update on my children and their use of technology. They became book readers, you guys. So they really don't interact with screens very often uh, six years after this conversation. In fact, they probably monitor and manage their screen time much better than I do, which is an embarrassing thing for a grown-ass man to admit. You know, for, for, for these girls, for my girls... Um, they're going to grow up in a world where basically whatever piece of information they need is always available. Andy was talking about this idea of working with the theological mind and imagination. Gosh, like having this device, which is great, connects you to the world, but boy, it does sort of strip away that sense of imagination and figuring things out when information is at the touch of your fingertips and it's so easy to pull it out. I think you have to wonder, like you have to believe, and I kind of do, that there will be, in terms of our evolution, a different type of imagination that emerges because of that. You know, I don't think that the human capacity, well, it's the human capacity for imagination that built this technology. So um, I guess what's scary to me is like, you don't know exactly what that looks like. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not going to be, when you talk about generational gaps, you know, that will be a big one, I think. Is is there a point by which, after which it's we've gone too far, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, it things have become somehow too easy for for too many people. Well, like, I think that know. yeah, and I guess the the awkward part is that that the answer to that question is different for different people. So there's right. like there are people who would say we've already gone too far. Yeah, it just makes you wonder if like there's always going to be some form of technology that people are going to point to and say, well, now the game's changed, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I could see people doing that for my generation with like pointing at Ataris and saying, oh, well, there you go. It's like or the, like kids, are, the kids are never going to be the same now. Um, yeah. Or VCRs or televisions or radios or I don't know about it's going to be something I don't know about that printing press it's going to make reading (laughs) far too easy One more plug for your app. Uh, uh, sure, it's uh, it's called Daily Office. You can find it on the uh, iOS App Store. It is nine ninety nine, oh. which is a lot. But 
I should say that 100% of the profits go to, sorry, 100% of the proceeds go to uh, support Episcopal Relief and Development and the, uh, the agency called Give Directly that uh, aids in giving direct cash grants uh, to people who need it in Africa. So all the money is going to good work. That's oh. great. Thanks, Andy. That's awesome. Now it's time for our uh, final segment, Staff Picks, where a member of our staff gives you a pick of something that they're into or that they discovered recently that they'd like to share. And today's staff member is Greg. Greg, what have you got for us? I'm stepping up to the plate here. I'm actually, you know what? I've got a staff pick that is going to be a preview, kind of, of our next episode. Um, I I know uh, our next episode is, is one that Betsy's hosting. I know everyone's asking the question where is betsy Betsy. what happened to betsy did you kick betsy off the show no betsy will be back she'll be hosting the next episode and she wants to talk about 90s culture uh when she comes back on the 90s the decade of the 90s well 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 it wouldn't be an episode of popping collars if we didn't make some 90s reference here we go But if you are unfamiliar with the decade of the 90s, may I recommend for your viewing pleasure a documentary series that's on HBO right now. It's called The Defiant Ones. We're talking about Jimmy and Dr. Dre. Jimmy Iovine is the levitator. Dre is the innovator. I need something a little bit more impressive. Bruce taught me a work ethic. I had to work harder than the next guy just to do as well as the next guy. And to do better than the next guy, I had to kill. I knew that I had to be a success at something. A friend of mine put together two turntables. I started doing this thing. I wanted to be able to get in there and rock. I think rattling home was Jimmy's last time. I think we broke him. I didn't want to see a studio. I was done. So I said, maybe I can start a record company. I got to find great producers, and I produced them. This was that do or die album. Put my body into this record. I'm playing it for everybody. For some reason, everybody's turning me down. Nobody wanted to deal with this gangster rap thing. They were afraid to deal with the people. The East Coast ain't got no love for Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. Interscope crossed the line of decency. All I remember is that Dre came in to play us the chronic. I said, who recorded this for you? He said, me. I said, wow, this guy will define Interscope. Jimmy was like, I want to get you guys on the cover of the Rolling Stones magazine. You guys are like making Keith. I'm like, well, it's making Keith. The Rolling Stones magazine. I want to be on the Source magazine cover. That blew up. I mean, I ain't never had that many white people coming to me in my whole life. Okay, so fast forward to, holy, this is Jimmy Ivey. Holy, Dr. Dre just walked in. He pops that tape and I'm blown away. I'm myself now thinking about it. Jimmy Ivey, he was walking up the beach and I told him about my lawyer approaching me about a sneaker company that wants him to endorse something. Out of the blue, he's like, Dre, man, sneakers. No, you don't sell sneakers, you sell all kinds of different speakers. Yeah, you know what? We could call it Beats. Everything that I've done in my career, I've always been underestimated. Here's a powerful thing. It's got a lot of firepower. It was the beginning of making fear a tailwind instead of a headwind. 
Mm. It follows the uh, the careers of Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine uh, as record producers. Now, Jimmy Iovine obviously goes well before the 90s way back to the 70s, uh, producing Born to Run with Bruce Springsteen and Damn the Torpedoes yeah. with Tom Petty. Um, but I'm having a moment story. over here thinking of Bruce Springsteen <laughs> and Born to Run. Totally distracted me. Go ahead. But Dre's story is very much a story of the 90s, very much a story of uh, hip-hop coming out of coming out of the experiences, especially of Compton, L.A. in the late 80s, and the context of Daryl Gates' sort of LAPD culture. How California hip-hop, West Coast hip-hop, was in direct relationship to what was happening around them. Um, and for the longest time, hip hop was associated with New York and East Coast, and it spoke to a very New York context. And so what Dre was looking for was to figure out a way uh, for West Coast hip hop artists to be able to talk about what was happening to them. Once again, Greg makes a recommendation for an artist that has a complicated history. The Defiant Ones is generally a celebration of Dr. Dre. Uh, it also kind of serves as a backdoor commercial for Beats headphones. But there have been many women who have given voice to their stories of violence related to Dre, including journalist Dee Barnes, which is documentary, which is in this documentary, I think. And also Dre's wife, uh, Nicole Young. And so anyway, it's, it's, it's a fabulous documentary, especially the Dre portions, uh, which I just I just found so captivating. He he exposes uh, all of his flaws in a way that, you know, the movie straight out of Compton kind of glossed over like he faces them head on in this and talks about his history of violence against women and wow. how that makes him a horrible person um, and how he has to reflect on that um, and and how that brings him to where he is now. It's called The Defiant Ones. It's on HBO right now. Well, thank you all for joining us for Poppin' Callers number 68. Special thanks to Andy Shamel for joining us as a guest today. Andy, safe travels on your thank upcoming you. adventure. Thank Keep you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks to Greg and thanks to Ricardo. Um, you can find all of our podcast episodes at Poppin' Callers podcast. Dot com. You could also find us on um, iTunes and Stitcher and all the other places where you get your podcasts. And finally, you can find us on EpiscopalCafe.com where we are featured as a member of their podcasting network. So check them out. There's a lot of other great podcasts on Episcopal Cafe and we love them and we know you will too. So thanks again. We'll see you guys next time. Keep those callers what? Pop, pop, pop. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Pop, pop. Wow, a lot of this stuff still holds up six years later. Probably many of the things we talked about in this episode were exacerbated for people during the pandemic. I don't think it's a coincidence that as we see an increase in technology use, we also see an increase in people reporting that they feel increasingly isolated and lonely. This is one of those topics that's going to have a long arc, and we're not going to know the next phase of the story for a while. In the meantime, what we can do is be conscious of our own self-control. Are we using our phones or are our phones using us? 
And like we say on the episode, be free to delete. Delete apps that are invading your personal life. Delete apps that make you reactive, depressed, and feel out of control, including sacred cows like Facebook, Insta, and TikTok. Thanks for taking this trip down memory lane. Speaking of apps, rest in peace, old MySpace. Tom, you'll always be my first digital friend. We'll see you next time. Next time.